Hello and welcome to the first episode of Cycloud Cry the podcast where we talk about all matters relating to the psychology of the climate crisis. I'm Saif and I'm joined by Josh and Eleanor and I'm gonna start off this podcast today by showing Josh and Eleanor some images Um, I'm going to link them in the description of the podcast for any of our listeners, so you'll have some reference to what we're talking about. So, Josh Nowler, would you please describe these four images, the emotions or the feelings that are evoked when you see these photos, or any adjectives at all? Go wild with it. Yeah, so they, I think they all clearly have some kind of reference to the climate or earth. And I like this one with the hands because it's kind of, for me, it kind of represents a responsibility to um, take care of the planet. And then the two darker ones are quite ominous, I think. So they're quite unsettling. Yeah, I'd agree with that unsettling, especially this one here with the kind of tunnel through the, like, the earth. And then the kind of globe above it, very unsettling and a bit like unreal. I don't know. Mm. I suppose they're a little bit abstract. Yes. They are. But I also like this one of the two people in the field looking up. It's almost like they're looking up with fear at what's changing in the sky, the kind of weather and a kind of extreme darkness, I guess. Mm. So now I'm going to show you this image. And I wonder what this image evokes or feelings, thoughts, any comments. Quite distressing to look at, actually. Um, like the one eye open while she's sleeping um, and the, the use of the colour red, I think, mm. is quite striking. Um, it's very, like, scary looking. Yeah, and I like the two different kind of... Um, representations of why they're almost in the background with the rain and then the Mm -hmm. fire which like considering the topic that we're discussing i'm guessing that it has something to do with extreme weather conditions (laughs) and maybe her being um kind of fearful of and maybe not feeling like she can sleep they're quite like emotive as well like Mm. the the kind of rain and the fire like it's almost like maybe those are emotions too like sadness and anger um and mm. I think that's, that's interesting true, actually, as well. Yeah. So the first few images that I showed you, um, I actually, well, I didn't make them. I put the I, I use an AI generator and I put in the terms climate anxiety. Um, I think I might have even had to change it to climate of the anxiety of the climate crisis, um, or climate crisis anxiety because, and they're only a handful of the few that I tried to make because I just felt like the first few were not accurately depicting any sort of emotions. That last image was actually just by like a human artist. Um, I will reference the artist in the description below. Wait, so the first few images were generated by AI when you? Yes. Oh, that's I so interesting. I feel like mm-hmm. that almost just kind of succinctly represents that this is a human issue, mm. and that. Sorry, so yeah, climate anxiety is what we're talking about today, but that it's a human issue and that maybe computers are not necessarily 
adequate to deal with what we are feeling and that it's on us and Definitely. it matters in our hands. Especially because those first two images, um, they, like some of them are really bright. And yeah. like they didn't really, they weren't really that like yeah. representative, I would say, of like no. that kind of like anxious feeling yeah. or... So what are your guys' feelings when you think about climate crisis? I certainly think I get quite anxious. Um, I think I feel a lot of guilt around my choices and my contribution sometimes to it. Um, but yeah, mostly worry, a bit of dread. Um, yeah. I think also like it can be quite overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. To think about like the gravity of the issue and like these things are always thrown around like oh it's going to be too late before we can actually make a difference mm. so i'd say like obviously a lot of the anxiety would stem from that as yeah. well yeah sometimes i feel like i feel like because we're told so many times like it's it's often kind of like we've gone past the point of no return that then you're like well what's the point yeah of any of the choices that I'm making, what's the point of me being vegan? What's the point of me not shopping from X, Y, and Z place? Um, so Clayton discusses this as climate anxiety and defines it as anxiety associated with perceptions about climate change, even among people who have not personally experienced any direct impacts, which I feel like kind of relates to us in that we are not living in the global south where like, Tuvalu, like we're not living in Tuvalu where it's like submerged underwater. We're we're so lucky that even though certain climate we have experienced a tiny amount of it, I'd say like even over the summer, like the really hot summer we had, mm -hmm. we are not experiencing as much as others are. Some of the reasons for this mental this impact on mental health, um stems from disruption to a place identity and attachment. For example, people whose homes are destroyed and they have to leave. Um, anxiety associated with the future and the future environment. And also having to grieve the loss of places, things, homes, and also concern and worry about future harm to people's children, which I suppose for us, is probably more of a genuine I feel like when I read that kind of description I think the first three come from Wang et al 2018 but that final future harm to one's children is probably the most relevant for us or for me anyways because like I'm again lucky that my home hasn't been transformed I'm still able to live I haven't been having like I haven't had like forced displacement mm -hmm. I'm still in my family home so yeah, it's still almost like an abstract thing in, in our lives, like the real world impact. So. Mm. Um, Albert described different types of symptoms and syndromes related to these emotions. So the first one he discussed was stolostalgia, which is just um, described as chronic distress when people experience that people experience in response to a negative environmental change, especially when it affects a home environment. Eco-anxiety is described as dread relating to negative environmental information. Eco-paralysis, the inability to act on these event environmental changes um, due to a perception that they're intractable. And eco-nostalgia, um, a perception that a specific geographical location was better 
in the past. So like, do you feel like you resonate with any of these more so than the others? I think for me, definitely like the <clears throat> eco anxiety and even like hearing about these places that have been like washed away. It's almost like that's in the future for us and that we will almost have to like grieve like even if like say Dublin for example isn't washed away but obviously climate change is going to change the way something looks or something like that so it would be almost like grieving the nostalgia that's like attached mm-hmm. to where you live yeah and your home I feel like sometimes eco paralysis in that mm-hmm. like I was saying earlier like when you hear about this dread and then you're like well what's the point of doing anything yeah I feel like I definitely when I was like probably 17 18 was way more active in my like going to protests actively engaging in discussion about what was happening and I feel like in the last year I really have taken a back seat yeah and I suppose like the busier you get with other things I think it's easier to let that kind of paralysis get to you and actually yeah. like affect your inaction yeah because you can focus on other things and kind of distract yourself from yeah. the reality of the situation yeah that thing of it kind of being too big of a thing to process you think mm-hmm. about like you don't have the headspace to process it when you're really busy mm-hmm. and then it, like you can like it's easier for you to process other things yeah so you choose to process them instead of actually yeah. engaging mm-hmm. in so even though we aren't being ex- being directly affected by our homes being destroyed lives being uprooted i think the health implications of the climate crisis are sufficient to like create some sort of anxiety in all of us um with the lancet 2022 report entitled the health of people around the world is at the mercy of a persistent fossil fuel addiction like if that doesn't evoke any sort of worry in you i don't know what will um, and they say that the world has not only been pushed into a global energy crisis, a cost of living crisis, thanks to both COVID-19 and the Russia's invasion of the Ukraine, but like these issues combined have kind of exasper- exasperated the climate crisis, affecting our brain through heat, air pollution, mental health, infectious disease, flooding in such as malaria in Pakistan, um, and reports from 62 hybrid districts indicate that an additional 210,715 cases were reported in September 2022 compared to the same districts just a year before um, and the number of cases that year before in the same districts was 178,657 so like the increase of infectious diseases is just like astounding and um, that status from the who our nutrition is being affected our respiratory system from air pollution cardiovascular um, cardiovascular system is being affected by heat having more sedentary life excess red meat and dairy consumption is among a few of them even just like the stress if, if you're so stressed by the climate anxiety like stress increases um, HDL fats in your um, 
in your heart. That's from my sixth year home ec series. <laughs> um, Sorry, but even listening to all the, like this big long list of things about how it's affecting us, I'm like, my hands are sweating. Yeah, like it's actually scary hands, to think about. I don't know the heat of this room, but uh, <laughs> no, I actually think it's a stress. And also, in addition to this, not just like the literal, like the current health implications, but I think climate apartheid is one of the most worrying like when I saw that graph in class of, or sorry, not the the, the map of the world with the mm. eco apartheid. Yeah. I think I went home and spoke about it to my parents for like the full entire weekend. I was like, I literally, I, I how, how is this not being published everywhere? Every Friday I have like a mini breakdown. <laughs> <after that class. laughs> um. So Sultana defines climate apartheid as a socio-spatial different differentiation in who pays the disproportionate effect of climate breakdown and it the, the climate apartheid exists for those people at the intersectionality of race gender and class so like i suppose we're all white we're living in an upper like a, a global north country like we're not really at the mercy of this climate apartheid at the moment but as it expands i'm sure we will be maybe somehow more so affected than we are now but the burden is definitely not on us um it's on the global south i think a really interesting quote from sultana is each degree of warming above present levels corresponds to roughly one billion people falling outside of the climate niche so insane but we like the luxury of having fossil fuels and being able to live in a world so reliant on fossil fuels is a luxury for us, but like is really at the mercy of their survival. And mm-hmm. um, so I suppose we have to consider when we're anxious about the climate crisis that we're lucky that it's not happening to us already. We're not the victims of the current climate apartheid, which is already happening. For example, Tuvalu, in the Pacific Ocean, which is made up of nine tiny islands where the sea level is constantly rising. People's homes are like, have had to leave their homes, the same as the Solomon Islands, which have disappeared. And even in the Bahamas, there is one neighborhood that was populated by, specifically populated by Haitian migrants, which in 2019 was affected by one of the strongest Atlantic hurricanes ever struck. It's crazy. But I think regardless we're still anxious like this doesn't really alleviate it's def we definitely have to be aware of our our privilege in our climate anxiety but it's not gonna i think saying that it's not on like we're not allowed to feel this or not that we're not allowed that we although we should be considerate of others just just being conscious i think isn't going to necessarily alleviate the stress and yeah, symptomology and it's almost like it's like we're, I was going to say lucky, but maybe lucky isn't the right word, but I'll, I'll use it anyway. Maybe we're like, we're almost lucky that we're like, af- like able to feel this yes. climate anxiety without, it's a privilege. Yeah, without the actual consequences of yeah. the, of climate change. And, but I think also these feelings are valid and a lot of the time they can spur on action, like climate yeah. action, but we still need to be conscious that we are not the ones suffering. To the largest extent yeah i think it's important as well that it does like 
like you say, translate into action rather than into paralysis, um, that you can make use of these emotions um, so that you can validate them, but then also have them like do some, go some way to addressing the issue. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that Sultana suggests that we move on from climate apartheid and prevent it, or at least try and reverse some of it, is to decolonialize the economy and the environment by implementing more feminist, anti-racist, decolonial and anti-capitalist critiques and struggles into mainstream climate discourse. And we need to be constantly reflexively looking back on who is oppressed and who is marginalised and how do we address this in legislation and in our economy. Yet what can we do in terms of climate anxiety to alleviate the stress that we feel? Because although that has long-term impacts, we probably need to be looking more at the short-term of what we can do right now. So Clayton says we need to focus on individual well-being and keep people engaged in trying to mitigate climate change um, to promote societal well-being. So problem-focused coping is associated with greater well-being in the long run. But motion-focused coping doesn't address the underlying problem of climate crisis. So problem-focused coping could eventually lead to just greater distress in general. So Clayton argues that we should cognitively reframe to reduce the idea or emphasis on threat or denial um, and suggest CBT to deal with this anxiety, which, although could reduce anxiety in the short term, might not be effective in the long run for actually fixing the problem of climate change. So alternatively, Ojala or Ojala, I'm not sure how to pronounce their surname, um, actually studied responses to climate children, to climate change in children, sorry, and adolescents, and identified the most commonly used strategies for coping and outlined their effectiveness. So the first one is problem-focused coping to respond to climate change. So becoming informed about the problem or talking to others about it, which shows higher levels of behavioural engagement and efficacy, but also with higher general negative affect. So the second one was emotion-focused coping, which was low in behavioural engagement, but still high in negative affect. So the third strategy was a positive repraisal or cognitive restructuring response, which is kind of what is recommended by Clayton. Um, in which people, or the children, sorry, try to gain a perspective on the environmental problems by putting them into a historical context and looking at previous examples of similar things that have happened and put their trust in societal actors, uh, such as scientists, researchers, politicians, to help with these solutions. And this kind of approach is defined as meaning-focused scoping. So... I wanted to ask you guys, which do you think out of the three coping mechanisms would be the best for you to deal with your emotions? Um, I would say I, I like the idea of the problem-focused co- coping yeah, yeah. because um, I think it's it's important to like focus on it from that perspective. Mm. But I think what's important about the um, meaning-focused um, coping is that you're looking at the past and kind of considering what has happened in the past and it kind of puts more of an emphasis on who can actually fix the problem Mm. as opposed to the other two yeah i feel like that maybe 
among children, though I don't want to sound condescending, but I think as you get older, you realise that group you can't necessarily group scientists and politicians into one umbrella. Mm-hmm. Like, even just, like, discourses of delay among politicians. Like, for example, that Lance report. Like, that is pretty strong evidence to suggest that mm-hmm. something needs to be done, and yet they're not really taking that into account so although that may provide better outcomes for climate anxiety i feel like as you get a bit older and you kind of gain life world experience yeah, a bit of critical you, thinking as well like yeah can... so i don't know i don't know if i can come to any solution it's a tough one mm-hmm. but i don't think there is going to be one clear-cut like no. winner among them maybe like a more integrated approach that kind of takes all of them into account and yeah obviously there needs to be more research done on it as well yeah. to see Taking, what is the most effective. And, and using those approaches identified by Sultana that are anti-colonial, mm. anti-racist, feminist approaches that haven't really persisted in previous research, um, there really needs to be a shift. I think, there is, I think it's happening at the moment, but I think that there's not yet enough research with that, those perspectives and lenses mm-hmm. on what's happened. So... To finish up the podcast, I'm going to add my song, which I feel resonates with me when I think about climate anxiety and the topic of climate change. Um, so the song is All I Can Say by Love Joyce, um, which I think was originally about um, violence in dance halls in Jamaica, but the lyrics that I really like, that I think resonate, are... All I can say, all I can say that this world will be better one day. Um, and there's another lyric about what is your cause disobeying Jalal, destroying his kingdom, do you want to burn? Which I think could be applied to global warming and the climate crisis yeah, particularly. I so like that. The final lyric in the song, all I can say, I hope and pray that this world dot 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 and it's not finished and I feel like it kind of leaves us leaves leaves us off on a good note mm-hmm. and a positive one at that because hope is important hope is very important especially when we're all so anxious so i love it thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time in episode two of side cry cry the podcast
destroy 